season number two, episode number three, One Golden Moment Podcast, Justice L. Santos. And we finally got him in the studio. The man, the myth, the Dodgers fan, the legend, Joey Patton, also known better around these parts as Mr. Joey Patron. Joey finally got happy, man. It's been a minute. We've been trying to get this going for a minute. I know you got some thoughts, but I'm just glad to finally have you in the office, bro. We have. We've been trying to get it going since the beginning of the semester, and uh, it just hasn't worked out. But thank you for having me now. I'm excited to be on board here. So as I mentioned the, the last podcast I did with Lucy, like people have heard me talk for so long at this point. But, you know, tell the people who you are. I mentioned that you were a little Dodgers fan. or you were a Raiders fan, too. You got that SoCal connection. But tell the people who you are. Who, who is Joey Patton? And then if you also want to sprinkle it in, who's Joey Patron? Who's Joey Patron? Unless we got to keep that behind the curtains. We might have to keep that behind the curtains. Joey Patton. I'm a senior at UC Berkeley. I cover baseball here at the Daily Cal with Max, Lucy, and Justice here. Um, I was a big baseball player myself growing up. I was a pitcher, third baseman, uh, played till high school, and then after that I decided to hang it up and stuck to football. As Justice mentioned, I am a Dodgers fan. Uh, it doesn't go too well up here most of the time. Unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I am a Raiders fan, so I fit in up here just fine in that regard. Um, and Joey Patron, on the other hand, it's actually Jose Patron. <laughs> he, uh, that was the, that was the result of a misreading of my last name by our buddy Max. He thought my last name was Patron and then Justice started calling me Joey Patron and now that's just what we roll with. So that's how that came to be. There's one qualifier to your name, to your, to your little description of yourself that we're forgetting. Uh, 2018 Ink Bowl MVP. Oh man. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to walk the audience through that one play? You know what play I'm talking about. Because I thought you were one of the, the genuinely one of the nicest people that I've ever been around. I thought you were about to get into a legitimate fist fight. <laughs> okay, so to, to set the stage a little bit, Ink Bowl 2018, Daily Cal got the W for the third year in a row. I think we were up by two scores. I hand you the ball off, you know, simple run to the left. You don't, you, you know, you get stopped after a couple yards, but it's not how you, it's not that you got stopped it's the way you got stopped this is a flag football game and if, if memory serves correct you ended up on the ground you and another individual ended that's up on right. the ground do you want to you want to tell the people about that little that little that's incident right. yeah so we were in the huddle and they said all right guys i'm gonna run to the left we're gonna take the ball i take the snap out of the gun and i you know run up between the tackle and the guard and this dude comes to wrap me up he's not pulling my flag he's going to tackle me and i'm like all right if that's how we're doing this let's go so i lowered my shoulder and all of a sudden, this dude kind of clotheslined me and grabbed me by the back of my neck and took me down with him. And, uh, you know, I obviously didn't like that too much. And I got up and I got a little heated. I started yelling some things. And uh, it was honestly some, uh, it was a pretty heated and intense moment. But, um, you know, it kind of got everyone fired up on both sides. He and I went at it a little bit. But then at the end of the game, we, uh, we shook hands, hugged it out, and it was all good. But, yeah, that was definitely... I lost control of my temper there, I got to admit. <laughs> but that's Daily Cal Stanford Daily in a nutshell. And then you even wrote, you, you took it outside of the field. You wrote a little little hit piece directed at the Stanford Daily. You want to walk us through that one a little bit? Yeah, so um, the Stanford Daily, they wrote a recap of the game. Um, we blew them out, but the recap they wrote, it didn't really portray that. And they had a bunch of misinformation in it saying that, you know, balls deflected by our defenders were actually broken up by their guys, things like that. And they didn't include the results of the boat boat race, which is this um, 
Fun that would, game. We might have to keep that behind the curtains. Might have to keep that behind the curtains. We won that as well, and uh, they didn't um, include that in their recap, and so I just I wrote this little letter to the editor, and I said, hey, man, these are the flaws in your in your article here. Uh, you might want to go back and fix these, and it was a lot of fun. I got to roast them a little bit, and it was a little, little bit. nice finishing touch on the on the whole weekend, getting to take the win in both the ink pole and the boat race. A little salt in the wound there. I also appreciate you. You didn't mention this one, but I appreciate it because after the game, you know that's that's my time to shine to get like the 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 emotional. You know, I'm just glad that everyone's been able to be here. It's a blessing. And then I threw out that. I don't want to call it famous because it's probably not famous besides the boundaries of this building. But I said, without Cal, there is no Stanford. Without Stanford, there is no Cal. Obviously, that's not entirely true, but it's like it's it's the premise. You know, it's the you can't really. It's hard to disassociate one from the other. And they actually, I think they mentioned it in the article, but they didn't quote me. And then you were like, you know, you can't be, you can't be keep my boy out the, the process. You can't, right. be, you can't be not misquoting, but mm. not quoting at all. So yeah. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely, man. No plagiarism over here. We're not going to be tolerating that. So I'm glad I could have your back in that. <laughs> I feel like we could go through our memories of the, like just the entire info process for the entire 40 minutes. But unfortunately, quote unquote, unfortunately, we got some baseball to talk about. And the one that's the one thing that's beautiful about doing this baseball podcast, as opposed to the basketball one, is uh, I get to see some wins. <laughs> Cal is, the, you know, these past two podcasts that I've done, we got to talk about between the Long Beach State Series and the Washington State Series. That's six wins. Cal basketball won eight all of the entire season, so it's a it's a different feeling <laughs> to see just to see Cal on the winning ends of things. But to just go through our, our little recap at the beginning, as I always like to do, Cal is currently 17-11 and 11 on the season. They have now swept in two consecutive series, as mentioned, the Long Beach State Series and the Washington State, rolling on all cylinders, currently sixth place in the Pac-12. To just go through these little game-by-game recaps, game number one, Cal beats Washington State 6-0. Uh, head coach Mike New sticks with the typical Armin Sabori, Sam Stottenborough strategy and works to perfection. Sabori goes two innings, Stottenborough goes the distance, quote-unquote the distance, he goes seven innings. Only allows three hits, walks one, very efficient 84 pitches. A lot of multi-hit games, Cameron Eden, Corey Lee, Max Flower, Darren Baker, and Quentin Selma all with two hits. And then Eden, this is the number that really stuck out to me, at least in, as far as this game is concerned. Four steals. And I remember looking, he was taking a, when he sold his first one, I was looking at his lead on first and I was like, he's about to go. And then he goes, and he's still, he's still second. I think he steals third as well. But, you know, Eden doing the typical leadoff hitter things. Uh, Sam Wesniak also draws a pair of walks and reached base in all four plate appearances. Did you want to go into this game a little more, or did just keep it on rolling, run through all these games? Mm, I'd say you can keep rolling through the series. Gotcha. So game number two, Cal beats Washington State 6-1. to one. New goes a little more traditional. Jared Horn starts pitching from the jump, and he goes, he twirls a beauty. A career-high eight innings pitched only allows the one run that came on a home run against the very first batter of the game. Cal's defense did do him a lot of favors, particularly Max Flower out there in right field. I remember in the first inning, he had a dive or a sl- sliding catch. The next inning, he had a diving catch. A couple of web gems in back-to-back innings. Horn was getting hit a little hard. He did benefit from some really great Cal mm-hmm. defense. But, you know, after those first several innings, really able to settle down calm the waters and really allow the offense to just not be on the field too often a lot of homers we actually watched the recap right after this cal slugged four homers um, they came from andrew vaughn flower wesniak and selma and 
in regards to Wesniak, that was just a precursor for game number three, otherwise known as the Sam Wesniak show. Mm -hmm. Cal wins game number three to complete the sweep in nine to five, and Wesniak hits two homers. And these weren't cheap ones either. These weren't just barely getting over the fence. And there was one in particular, I even tweeted this out, where Wesniak didn't exactly get the sweet spot of the bat. He kind of hit sort of towards that middle. Mm -hmm. You know, typically if you don't have the strength, that's that might be a fly out. But he clears the, the fence by a couple feet now, aluminum bats. So <laughs> maybe a little bit of benefit there. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, a lot of offense by Cal from the nine runs. Cameron Eating goes four for four with the walk. Three runs and two RBI. Darren Baker goes three for four. Selma goes two for four. He also, I think it was the third inning or the second inning, he missed a home run by literally a foot. Like if that ball goes a foot longer, that's a home run right at the warning track. Uh, New rolled out the opener-starter dynamic again. Grant Holman made his first pitching appearance in nearly a month. Went two innings, allowed a run, then Rogelio Reyes took over from there in six inning in, again, quote-unquote relief because it was more of a mm -hmm. start than anything. Yeah. Allowed three earned runs. He was a little shaky, a little difficulty commanding the strike zone in the early innings, but was really able to settle down as the game went along. Mm -hmm. And then Sabori, just as he began the series, he ended it, scoreless inning in the ninth. Put the nail in the coffin. So, that's sort of the the sprint of a recap. Yeah, I, I, I as I was going through it, I felt myself talking just like super fast. But now that we've sort of gone over essentially what went down in this series, just to take more of the the macro view, there's a lot of different things that we can talk about in regards to this series in particular, mm -hmm. as well as extrapolate it to the season as a whole. So. Where would you want to start in terms of the the topics that we can go over? Because there's a, there's sort of a lot to digest here, especially absolutely. especially in wins. It's a lot more fun uh -huh. to talk about wins, absolutely. as as I've mentioned with the <laughs> basketball podcast. Yeah. So I want to take a second. I want to back it up to game two, and I want to talk about my boy Jared Horn. You know, I talked to Coach New at the beginning of the season, and I asked him, Coach, who are going to be your guys on the mound? Who are we going to look for to carve us, carve some things up this this season? He told me Jared Horn and Rogelio Reyes. I went back and I looked at the stats, and I was like, geez, man, this guy had a 6.15 ERA last year. He was getting lit up left and right. This year on the season, let me read you some stats right now. Jared Horn has a 1.96 ERA, .91 whip. He's 1-1 one one on the year, which I don't really take record too seriously because yeah, when, that's kind of arbitrary. It's like the only stat where yeah. you have absolutely – well, you, you have somewhat of an influence mm -hmm. in regards to wins and losses, and it's yeah. like if you get a lot of them, it's cool, but yeah. you know, it's a very arbitrary stat. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's through 23 innings on the season. So I remember I saw Jared Horn pitch his first outing against San Jose, and he did really well. But, you know, I, was, I took it with a grain of salt because I don't know how good San Jose was or not. But then you see him roll out in more and more games, and he's still he's throwing more innings, and he's given a fewer runs, and he's doing really well. And I just think, you know, he's done a lot of work this offseason, and I think he's working every day. I know he told me, you know, he's been working with Coach New every day, just trying to get better at one thing every day, trying to get a little bit better than he was the day before. And, you know, I think part of the sophomore slump he had, maybe he felt overwhelmed, and maybe he was trying to perfect everything and just improve his game and do too much at once. But I think it shows a lot of maturity on his part that in his junior season he's been able to, you know what, take a step back, let's just focus on this, and then I'll work on that. You know, and I really, to me, that shows a lot of maturity there. So I think Jared Horn really stole the show in game two. And like you said, he did have a lot of help from his defense, but what pitcher doesn't get bailed out at times, you know, it doesn't make him, doesn't take away anything from their performance. So, yeah, I think Jared Horn did a fantastic job in game two. Yeah, that's one of the... You know, it's one of the stereotypes that we hear come up a lot in, in like, post-game interviews. It's like the, you know, we're just going to take it one day at a time. We're going to take a step <laughs> back, evaluate mm -hmm. things. We're going to watch the film. But I think that is interesting in terms of actually being able to 
to execute that because you know when they say it, it's like saying it is one thing but actually being able to execute is another thing mm -hmm. and the one thing that really struck me about his performance was you know the career high eight innings i remember in the interview that he did on the pac-12 network during uh, game number three he was it was kind of up in the air as to whether he would you know go the distance and i think the decision to you know pull him back and you know allow someone else to finish the game off was you know he has he's been sort of being you know, slowly reincorporated into the swing mm -hmm. of things. He is coming off of an injury. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and it is, it is a very small sample size, you know, 23 innings over five starts. But just to see the improvement he's made, not only from, you know, his sophomore year to his junior year, but to see, like, that backwards progression that he made from his freshman year to his sophomore year, I think it's very encouraging. And, you know, he is going to have, as the season goes along, there are going to be tougher opponents. He didn't, you know, he only pitched a little bit against Oregon State in only the four-inning outing. But, you know, as that season goes along, as his arm continues to gain that strength, I'm going to be interested mm -hmm. to see how he carries this foundation that he's really established for mm -hmm. himself and where he might end up in a couple weeks. Because I think we do got to mention, you know, Washington State, you know, only seven wins on the season. Um, I believe they're, what, 7-23 and 23 now on the season. Yeah. Their, their lone run came from the very first batter of the game. So... You know, as he gets into the season, as we face these tougher opponents, I really, I'm really intrigued to see, you know, how he's going to be able to mm -hmm. step up to the, not step up to the plate because, you know, it's a better metaphor, yeah. but <laughs> you know, I'm really interested to see, like, what he does. No, absolutely. You're totally right. And I think, honestly, Horn, like you said, we're going to see how he performs against these tougher opponents moving forward. And I think that's an issue that we want to see with the whole team, really. I mean, you know, we're coming off a six-game win streak. We beat up on Long Beach. We beat up on Washington State now, right? But those teams, I think... Long Beach was three and twenty-two coming into the series against Cal, and then Washington, I believe, was what were they five and twenty? I want to say six and twenty around there. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's like I mean, not to at all belittle the accomplishments the team did. It's great to come off a six-game winning streak, and you know, good teams beat the teams they're supposed to beat. You know what I mean? But moving forward, when we start to play the teams like ASU, UCLA, we want to see if you know not only Horn but the, all the team, you know, they can step up and continue their success. So that's I think that's gonna be something really exciting moving forward in the year. That man, Hunter Bishop out in Arizona State. That man, he just might win Golden yeah. Spice Award. Still have yeah. award right away from Andrew Vaughn. <laughs> but I, I find it interesting that you that you know you bring up Jared Horn and you you know deem him your guy because you know there's there's a, a subject that I know that you've been wanting to talk about for quite a while, and you know we've we got a, a relatively large sample size. You know about we're about at the thirty game mark and. That is Cal's strategy of the opener. Now, you know, this is something that is relatively new in terms of, you know, having someone really like start off the game and then going to a more traditional starter in like this quasi long relief role. And if memory serves correct, I believe you weren't the, the biggest fan of implementing no, this not. strategy. You want to sort of just get into your, <laughs> yeah. your thought process in regards to that? My thing, I am a baseball fundamentalist. I'm not on board with sabermetrics and analytics. I don't like that stuff. Um, being a Dodgers fan, we had ZD in our front office, and, you know, I wasn't on board with all his shenanigans with math. And now he's on the Giants, and you have guys like Madison Bumgarner selling, telling him, if you use an opener on my starts, I'm going to walk out of the stadium. <laughs> I don't think he really would. But, you know, it just goes to show, you know, pitchers aren't on board with it. Um and yet, like I said, I'm a baseball fundamentalist. I like I think the old ways have worked for a long time, and I don't see any need to change them. However, in regard to Cal, you know, you look at that the game. Um, Armand Saborio opens up for Stottenborough. Uh, 
it was effective, right? It can work, you know? And I think, honestly, I'm willing to admit that maybe it's worth trying and experimenting with, and it's proven, you know, to have some success, uh, especially when it's been Sabori out there to start off the inning and really attack the top of the lineup and, you know, maybe just get the momentum going for the game. Um, personally, I don't know if, I mean, you have Jared, on the other hand of that side of that, you have Jared Horn who will start the game and just pitch eight innings outright, and that was also very effective and it works. So I think, honestly, you kind of got to tailor it to, you know, your starting pitcher, not the opener, but your starter that you're going to bring in, the opponent, look at the lineup. And I think that if it um, if it seems to make sense in that instance, yeah, why not work? Why not mess around with it? But I, I wouldn't use it as a day-to-day approach. I don't think it's something you can use every day. I really do think it has to be a case-by-case thing. Yeah, I got a couple quotes that I do want to throw at you. The first one comes from Stottenborough, who, you know, this is in regards to the concept of the opener uh, mm-hmm. quote i love it i'll do whatever they need me to do it's not up to me it's up to the coaches i'm just going to do what i do mm-hmm. and then pitching coach matt flemmer we knew sam was going to be an innings eater for us we are going we are doing something a little bit different but we saw him as a guy who would give us a chance in that first game of the series and what's also interesting about it is typically on fridays you, you sort of save the you know, the metaphorical best weapon in your arsenal for that first series because it really sets the tempo for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing here is we're taking it to, you know, we have the individual game, but then we're taking it to, you know, setting the tone for the dynamics within that game. So it's like you're taking a very, you know, in terms of this idea of setting the momentum mm-hmm. and setting the tone for the rest of the series. And I do think that there's also a psychological element that goes into it. Mm-hmm. I know when you... When you're coming in relief as opposed to when you're starting a game, it's the idea that, you know, you're inheriting someone else's creation and that sort of eases the pressure off of you a little bit. And that, you know, that sort of, that was my mentality whenever I'd come in to pitch. If I was coming in as a reliever, it was more of this idea that this is the situation I'm inheriting as opposed to this is, this is me setting the table for the rest of the game. I do think that, you know, as his career progresses, I would like to see him in the actual starter role as Mm -hmm. opposed because you know it is seven innings but it's what type of seven innings are we getting Mm -hmm. because it's like he's a starter but he and he's technically kind of like a closer too because he's finishing out these games and yeah i you know i'm there's it's a conflicting idea because i would say i'm more in regards to baseball i am willing to accept change that there's some things that are a little more difficult to grasp like the idea of you know, shifts where you got some got like a, a rover essentially, mm-hmm. and you know an increase in wanting to hit home runs as opposed to you know just getting contact, and you have you know the, the rise of the three true outcomes, and you know it, that's a conversation for another day essentially. But I would like to see Stottenbro as this whether or not even if if not this season as the season progresses, at some point I would like to see him just embrace that true starter role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing to remember, he is a freshman, you know, he's young, you want to save his innings, you don't want to throw him, feed him to the wolves, right off the bat immediately. And you said it's a psychological thing, perhaps, right? Maybe he does need, you know, to be eased into some of these things. Um, And if if New feels that the best way to go about doing that is, you know, using an opener, and Stottenborough says he's confident and comfortable with that, and he wants to do what's good for the team, then that's totally, you know, that's what we should roll with. like, he's a freshman, you know, let's ease into him, let's not burn his arm this this young into his career, let's uh, let, let him get his feet wet, and I think, like you said, he will move into that traditional starter role, and we'll see him throw, you know, seven, eight, not, maybe nine innings someday, but he already threw seven 
in this last game, you know, and that's really that's we have a lot of hope in seeing that kind of stuff. And for him to just be able to throw that many innings from the jump is pretty encouraging. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious as to your thoughts on it being implemented with Reyes because this is a situation where he's not a freshman, he's a junior, mm-hmm. and he's currently thrown the thir- the second most innings of anybody on the team. But, you know, in the same situation as Thoughtenbro, he's yet to make a traditional start. Mm-hmm. So is this a situation where you'd like to see Reyes come out as the more traditional starter because he's done it in the past? Or is this sort of a situation where you're thinking if it's not broke, don't, if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? I would say the latter. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You look at Reyes' stats last year, his ERA was over eight. Um... You know, it seemed like he was a little shaky coming out on the mound as a starting pitcher. And if he feels, I mean, technically from the pen, because, you know, he is coming in technically relief, but he is the starter. Maybe it's more comfortable for him to have someone set him up. Maybe he doesn't want to come out in the first inning. Maybe he wants to see, you know, the other team's top of their lineup, scope things out a little bit. Um, you know, that guy's got a two six seven ERA right now. He's got a one two seven whip. Um, I mean, he's pitching really well. And like you said, if something's not broke, you know, why would you fix it? Why would you change what's working? Funny story about Rogelio Reyes. I remember I really talked him up in the preview going into that LSU series, bragging about how he hadn't given up an earned run all year. And then he gave me what you called the journalist jinx. And then lo and behold, first outing against LSU, you know, he, uh, he gave up a few runs there. So <laughs> I may have jinxed him. Yeah. But um, no, so I'm, I'm honestly really pleased with Reyes' performance on the season. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe you know what? Let's, let's leave him where he's at. Let's have him continue to use the setup. Seems like he's comfortable. And if memory serves correct, I believe his 2.67 ERA is among the lowest in the Pac-12. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was, you know, in that range, especially given how many innings he has pitched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's pitching a lot of innings. Let me see. I can pull this up for you right now. And I think we should also get, you know, we're talking about the, you know, these starters, whether it be in the traditional sense or this quasi-starter sense, but I think some credit also has to be given to Sabori. Because, you know, when we talk about versatility in baseball, we talk about it in regards to utility players. You know, someone that maybe he'll play a little bit of third, he'll play some second, he'll play some outfield. And, hey, in the case of Pablo Sandoval, I'm going to bring back those memories from last season, maybe even pitch a little bit, maybe even be that third catcher. But, you know, Sabori has had to, you know, in the same way that Stoddenborough and Reyes have had to take on this role as the long relievers, mm-hmm. Sabori has had to take on this role of being the opener. And because it's a concept that's so new to not only baseball as a whole, but to these guys individually, mm-hmm. that can be an that can be an adjustment that might be difficult to make, but he's taken it on with shiny he's been passing with flying colors. Absolutely. And if you look at what he's been and that's typically the formula that they've been sticking to, where they go from Sabori to Stoddenborough. And for him to just be able to embrace this role wholeheartedly and you know, excel in it as well. He's currently at a 2.76 ERA for the season. He's pitched 29 innings, appeared in 15 games. I think some credit has to be attributed to him as well for not only the willingness to open these games, but in the case of Game 3 in this series, close them out. And, you know, I think that's just... It, it's a really... It's a, it's a beautiful weapon to have, especially Absolutely. if when you're talking about what you could pot, uh, potentially do going forward with Stottenborough and Reyes and even Horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, um, a lot of praise for Roman Sabor, you know. Um, he's ranked 11th in the Pac-12 in ERA. Um, Reyes is 8th, and our boy Stottenborough, 
He's uh, number five now, so, you know, our pitchers are doing really well. And just in regard to Sabori's willingness to step in and play a, a new role for the team and be versatile, I mean, that's awesome. You always want those guys on your team. And to show that, you know, his willingness to be a team player, step into, like what you said, um, uncharted territory there. It's a new concept, the opener, and it's new to this team as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great that he was willing to fill in that role that he was asked to do. And let's just provide a little context as to how new that this idea is for Sabori. Uh, in 2017 and 2018, he had one start combined. Now, he did pit, especially last season, he did pitch well in relief. But in this season in particular, he has 10 starts. Now, they have been these opener starts. But as we mentioned with the psychological aspect of you know having Stottenborough and Reyes come in and inheriting a situation as opposed to creating the situation... Now you, you're asking someone who, who's done this one time to now, you know, reaffiliate themselves with something that they have, I don't, I don't want to say he has no idea what it's like because he's probably, you know, started in high school, mm-hmm. but to, you know, take on this different role and him having to battle the psychological element of that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's a whole new world going out and opening up ball games because you haven't seen the lineup yet. You don't know how they're going to be what kind of pitches they're going to be chasing. You don't know the approach they're taking to the plate. And, um, you know, he, he's tr- traditionally been used out of the pen. I remember Coach New actually told me he was going to be, as a, um, his words were, a versatile bullpen guy. We're going to use him in later innings of the game around the 8th or the 9th. Um, and, you know, that's not what's been the case. I mean, sometimes, yeah, he's coming in later, but most of the time he's been starting on the mound, uh, opening these games up. So, really, I mean, hats off to him because it's really been great that he's been able to step in like that. We've talked a lot about pitching over the past, you know, 20-something minutes, but, you know, the person that really kind of stole the show this weekend was none other than Sam Wesniak. You know, I think he came into this series with, you know, three or four home runs, and, you know, he had been, he had an okay season at the plate up to that, you know, batting in the, the low 200s. And, you know, last weekend, you know, the Long Beach State Series, we saw Corey Lee, who really burst onto the scene, had the four home runs, the eight RBI. Mm-hmm. And if I was to tell you heading into this series that someone's going to hit three home runs, someone's going to bat 400, someone's going to drive in like eight runs, you're thinking, you know who you're thinking, you're thinking Andrew Vaughn. Thinking Andrew Vaughn. But no, it's, it's Sam Wisniak, <laughs> and he's, he's hitting home runs off the Jumbotron, he's hitting home runs off, you know, not the sweet spot, he's hitting dingers left and right, and mm-hmm. I think I could speak for both of us when we say we're a little shocked I don't think we were expecting this at all. No, we we do know he has some pop, but you know, to hit three home runs in a single series, essentially one per game, that's a pretty big jump to make in terms of you know that's a pretty big hot streak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sam Wesniak's a guy that you and I have talked a lot about. Just you know his performance and um, someone we really wanted to see step up at the plate. He's hitting two thirty three. It was lower going into the this past series, but it really was refreshing to see him just rake at the plate like that. You know, hitting dingers getting on base, you know, making plays. He was doing some really good things. Um, And you you definitely want to see that. And like you said, you know, you expect Andrew Vaughn or Corey Lee to be doing those things. But, you know, if you can have a shortstop that can hit, I mean, that's invaluable. And, uh, you know, Sam Wozniak, he struggled to play this year. We all know that. But, I mean, maybe this could be, you know, the start of a big upturn for him. Maybe this is what he needed. He'll get some confidence. He'll start seeing the ball better. Maybe he was pressing originally. It is tough hitting in that leadoff spot. You know, you're the first guy to see pitches and – those types of things. But you know what? Like I said, this could be 
a big confidence boost for him moving forward, and we could expect maybe to see some more of these games moving forward. And we have seen, that's, that's sort of been a common theme throughout this season, is we've seen guys, you know, as the season goes along, really step up. Now, mm-hmm. one of the more obvious ones is Cameron Eden. Mm-hmm. He's tied with Andrew Vaughn with 344 batting average. That's highest on the team. But then you also see someone like Corey Lee, who's really taking a step forward. You see someone like mm-hmm. Max Flower, who's really taking that step forward. And, you know, even as of late, Darren Baker, he's currently riding an 11-game hitting streak, someone that's really taken that step forward. I think he's average is you know finally above 300 again and I think you know one of my concerns heading into this season was going to be the depth of the lineup you know you mm-hmm. you know you have Vaughn you know you're going to have Vaughn he's the reigning Golden Spikes winner but what can you who can you bat behind him to ensure that he's not going to be intentionally walked every single game mm-hmm. and whether that be someone like Flower whether that be someone like Lee or even if even if Sam Wesniak can sort of come onto the scene as this season rolls along, I think that's going to be, again, mm-hmm. as you said, invaluable to this lineup. Yeah. And he has showed, you know, he did show some pop in his freshman season, and he hit six homers. Well, this season already, he's already hit six, and he mm-hmm. has the entirety of April and the entirety of May to just keep racking them up, and I think we might even see him flirt with double digits. Now, <laughs> you know, competition is going to get a little fierce as the season rolls along, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think he's set up a beautiful foundation going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to touch on what you said about who do you hit behind Vaughn, depth of the lineup, things like that. Um, I think that was a really good point that you made. Um, but yeah, I mean, in regard to Wesniak, you're right. Uh, he's got a lot of pop. He has six dingers on the year already. Um, and that's really cool. And like you said, he muscled one of those out. He hit it off an awkward part of the bat. And, you know, to show that strength as a shortstop, I mean, that's awesome. Um, now it's just a matter of getting him more consistently hitting. See that average rise up a little bit, and I think he'll be in good shape. Um, as far as depth, I want to say I think we have a lot of that. I think, you know, every, every top to bottom, I mean, we only have one starter, I think, that's hitting below 300. I think everyone's doing, everyone's pretty much pulling their weight, and this offense is putting up runs every single game. I think Corey Lee has been a guy who's been really impressive, especially in these past couple series, man. He, um, I remember in that Cal Poly series, do you remember Andrew Vaughn was getting walked basically every at-bat? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, someone asked Corey Lee, what's that like? Does that, does that fire you up? You know, being, they're walking him to get to you. He says he loves it. It makes him want to hit. You know, he puts a chip on your shoulder. And Corey Lee's been showing that recently. Um, you look at what he did in that Long Beach series. He had eight RB, or excuse me, six RBIs in the third and final game of that series. In this past series against Washington State, he was repeating his success at the plate. He's doing really well on the year. The guy is hitting... 333. He's got six home runs as well. Um, and I mean, he, what more could you want from him? He plays great defense. He's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. He's doing all the things. Um, I think Quentin Selma is another dude that's been hitting really well. He, uh, you know, he's showing some pop. He has three home runs. He's hitting 323. He's doing really well. I just think top to bottom, everyone's really pulling their weight right now. And um, it's going to be really important just to keep that rolling as the season moves on. I think Corey Lee's someone that might just play himself into getting drafted this season. Because mm-hmm. if you look at last season, you know, five home runs, and I believe he only had, you know, 13 walks. You know, you know among other stats, in addition to batting average, slugging percentage. But those are sort of the, the numbers that, you know, stick out to me because, you know, as a catcher, you want to have someone that can provide a little bit of pop. And I mentioned this a little bit on the last podcast, but currently he's at six home runs. And 14 walks, and you know, to to dip into the college basketball well because I like to, I like to refer to that a little bit just as a reference point. 
you know, when, what you see is typically when you have someone going from year one to year two, two to three, three to four, mm-hmm. you see someone taking on more of that role. And, you know, the stats kind of come with it just because you are taking on a lot more of that increased role. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the same when it comes to baseball. In baseball, you're going to get your three, four, five player appearances a game. And, you know, role is probably dependent more on where you are in the batting order, but that's probably, that that's your helping of playing time right there. And it's what can you do if everybody's getting the same amount of playing time, it's not. It's it's a little more of a difficult situation when you talk about the idea of stepping up. But with that being said, you do see a scenario where everybody's pulling their weight. Everybody's, to actually use the appropriate metaphor, everyone's sort of stepping up to the plate. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a you know this is I don't know if this is in their in the team's psyche, but you know more likely than not, this is probably a lot of these guys' last seasons on this team. You know Vaughn is at this point a consensus top five pick. Eden is playing himself in the draft. Lee is playing himself in the draft. And in addition, you want to... This is a very young team, but, you know, if that's sort of, you know, embedded in the subconscious, it's like, this might be the last year we have with this core. Let's go do Mm -hmm. something. And to just see them all make these strides at the plate, I think it's also a credit to them individually, but it's also a credit to the coaching staff in place for giving them the opportunity sure. and, you know, working it out with him. And to dig into the college basketball well one more time, mm-hmm. uh, that was something that we didn't exactly see, uh, player development with uh, Cal men's basketball. But uh, mm-hmm. if you want to hear more about that, <laughs> you're going to have to listen to me, Roy, and Serena uh, next Monday. Be sure to listen, but yeah, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, dude, how much fun would that be if we could see this junior core really step into a senior year? I mean, I think it'd be... So much fun, and then I think they do some fantastic things. But you're right. I mean, in all reality, a lot of these guys are going to get some looks from the show. And if you have that opportunity, it is hard to pass up. Andrew Vaughn's a guy, the big name, obviously. He's going to go top ten, probably the first baseman, first first baseman that's going to get taken. Um, you know, it's it's definitely these guys are playing like it's you know their time to win, and they're all stepping up. And you know, I talked to. Um, Max Flower actually after one of the games a couple series ago leading into the Oregon State series and the thing he said most about the Oregon State series is like look this junior class we haven't beaten these guys ever they swept us both times we played them really want to get after it and so I feel like they do have this sense of urgency like this is it this is our team this is our core we're the leaders on this team now it's time to it's time to go we got a lot of young arms nine freshman pitchers on this squad you know we can mentor these dudes um, and our older guys can also, you know, step up. And, I mean, they really have flourished this year. So I just think it's top to bottom on all sides of the ball. You know, everyone, everyone's playing like this is the time. That's it. This is, let's go. And I think it's something that really stuck out to me was when I was re-watching this, the recap of Game 2 of this series, you know, Andrew Vaughn, he's hit what I believe... You know, somewhere near 50 career home runs with Cal. It's not, you know, it doesn't really catch you by surprise when he hits a home run. Mm-mm. But he crosses home plate, takes the helmet off, gives a little dap, and then he jumps into like a crowd of his teammates, and they're all they're all like kind of celebrating like this mini celebration as if they just walked it off. You know, as he gets to the dugout, and it's things like that where you know you like to see that brotherhood, that closeness. Exactly. And I think, you know, baseball more than any other sport, you can there's a stat for everything. There's a stat for how often you swing on a ball that's in the strike zone, out of the strike zone, defensive runs saved, all of, you know, all that baseball jargon. But I think that there's still something to be said about 
as corny as it sounds, you know, the intangibles and, you know, chemistry. Sure. And the thing that I like to bring up a lot in conversation when I talk about uh, your 2010, 2012, and 2014 San Francisco Giants <laughs> world champions. But oh, the thing, that, but I, what I note about that team is they were, every single year, you can make an argument that they were, and it, it feels weird to say that they were the worst team in the playoffs. Like, you, you just, like, look at those rosters. Like, you got mm-hmm. Cody Ross, Edgar Renteria, Marco Scudero. It's like, these mm-hmm. aren't really, you know, these aren't superstars to the level of the team that they were facing. Especially, you know, that 2010 Philadelphia Phillies team. That's probably the team that, if anything, should have wiped the floor with them. Mm-hmm. If I'm being you know, realistic. But it's, you know, that te- that camaraderie, that chemistry, that, that buy-in. And, you know, I'm going to dip into the college basketball one more time. <laughs> UCLA, all the talent in the world, couldn't really do anything with it. They drove Steve, Al- Steve Alford out of town. They, as me and Refor- Roy referred to on a previous podcast, they drove uh, Murray Bartow mad to the point where... He did a hockey-style substitution. But, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, just general chemistry, general team building. And even and there's the one thing that they like to do, you know, in between innings. I think they throw on this EDM music. Mm-hmm. And you see a couple of guys, like, jumping back and <laughs> forth, you know, head bobbing, like, fist pumping. And that's just, that's fun mm-hmm. to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Going back to that, those Giants teams you were talking about, um, they were, I, you look at those World Series, they were never the better team in those World Series. You know, you look at that time they played the Tigers. Was that 2014, right? Uh, that was 2012. They 2012. had Verlander. Yeah, Verlander, Price, Scherzer, Cabrera. They had no reason. They had no business beating those guys. And they swept them. And they them. swept them. Exactly. <laughs> Chemistry is a huge thing. Also, it gets back to management. Um, Mike New's done a fantastic job creating a new culture with this team. He's Everyone's bought into what he's saying. He, they all respect him a lot. Um and I think, you know, it's a testament to his skills um, as a head coach and what he's been doing so far. Everyone's all in on it. And, you know, these guys, you look at the dugout, they're having fun during games. They have their mini celebrations for every home run, every little thing that goes their way, you know, and it's always fun to watch. Andrew Vaughn told me they're always setting up the Wii and playing Wii sports together, and it gets pretty heated at times. He said they're goofing off, goofing off together, and they're always just having, having a blast. So, you know what? Yeah, the chemistry definitely cannot be overrated in any regard because it's crucial and i think you know this cal baseball team they have a lot of chemistry and it's really showing uh, speaking of vaughn be sure to check out his feature that he writes about vaughn when that ever drops that's right but you know we've talked a lot about vaughn and i think we got to address it it's sort of the elephant in the room at this point mm-hmm. the last 10 games have been rough and you know i don't think i've seen you know in the time that i've seen vaughn here at cal i don't think i've seen him slumped to this extent i got some numbers for you over the last 10 games he's batting 200 that, that is not a you're hearing that right he's batting 200 200 on base percentage is 377 two home runs nine rbi and heading into that heading into that oregon state series he was batting you know 426 he was the andrew vaughn that we had become you know so accustomed to seeing and now he's batting 344 and i think that does speak to the standard that we hold him to, you know, the reigning Golden Spikes winner. He was just uh, recently named to the Golden Spikes watch list. But, you know, these things, you know, there's there's two sides of it that I see. There's These things do happen, but, you know, it does bring into question. And, you know, this sort of gets to one of the points that I've made a lot, especially on the podcast, which is like, Pac-12, release the tapes, release your footage. We know you have the footage. We want to break down <laughs> film. You know, we're, we're trying to succeed out here as student journalists, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know release the tapes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
it has been a rough go about it, and I think we even brought up the point that we don't think this is going to last. No, absolutely not. Every great player has had a slump. You know, it happens. It's no big deal. Are you telling me these players are human? <laughs> Believe it or not, even the Golden Spikes Award winner, he's having a slump, and it's it's no big deal. I mean, and if anything, I think he chose a great time in the season to have a slump, you know, um, and his teammates really picked him up, picked up his slack, and, you know, that they've been playing as a team, and it just goes to show the team... Uh, effort that's being put forth, you know. Andrew Vaughn, their best player, can have a slump and they can still win six straight. I think he's going to heat up. You know, it happens. Maybe at the plate, he's just not taking the pitches he wants. He told me he's, you know, still sticking to the same approach that he stuck to his whole career. He's just looking for the right side of the plate, trying to, um, excuse him, excuse me, he's trying to hit to the right side of the field or up the middle, not trying to pull anything, although we definitely have seen him pull some moon shots, like that one that went onto the roof the other day. Engineering building. <laughs> that's right. But um, do you think Vaughn, like when Vaughn gets drafted, the owners of that building are going to request you know, a couple <laughs> thousand for all the windows that he's probably broken? Oh man, <laughs> they definitely should. That guy's probably cost him a lot of money. <laughs> but um, more seriously, I, it's just he's going to keep staying to that same approach to the plate. He's going to be looking to hit to the same place, looking for his pitches he likes, and it's going to click. I just think he's in you know a little funk right now, and it happens to everyone. And it sounds like neither of us are really too seriously worried about it. Yeah. And I mean, even for what he's lacked at the plate recently, he's still been playing great defense, which I definitely think needs to be talked about. I mean, he, you know, you watch that Washington, what was a game, game one, we saw all those plays where he was stretching out, making those crazy mm -hmm. grabs at first. You see that Long Beach series where Jared Horn's in a little jam in the fourth. Vaughn leaps up and catches some crazy line drive. You know, those things don't go in the stats typically because it's hard to record defense. But so what he's lacked at the plate, he's still, you know, made up for on the defensive side of things, and then the hitting's going to come. You know that, I know that, and he knows that. I think all this means is, you know, I'm a, bit, I'm a firm believer in regression to the mean. All this means is that regression to the mean is it's going to be something crazy. Maybe he's <laughs> in, you know, 600 over a couple of weeks, maybe mm -hmm. 500, and just, you know, sending out homers left and right. Mm -hmm. There was this weird thing, though, in the Washington State series where, you know, there was a couple, you know, ground balls that were hit to him. You know, this is just a very minor thing. I just... I think we both found it kind of peculiar. Uh, he fields a ground ball. He's about five feet from the bag, and he throws it over the pitcher for some yeah. reason. I think, yeah. you know, that's not the, you know, I'm not going to say his draft stock is going to crash because of that. I just found, I just found it kind mm -hmm. of peculiar. But I think, you know, we're, we're sort of at the 42-minute mark here just to wrap things up a little bit. Uh, one final note that I think we should mention. We were questioning uh, why McElwain well, was not, you know, participating in recent games, and that's actually because... He's out for the season. I believe you were the one who yeah. uh, wrote the article. And can you like give us a little more uh, feedback on that? Yeah, so Brandon McIlwain is actually likely to miss the rest of the season. They haven't totally ruled him out yet, but he's having surgery. He broke his foot against Oregon State, um, and you know it was a, it was definitely it was a freak accident. Um, you know everyone was upset to see it happen, and it's a real bummer because you know he had to miss out his first year of eligibility because he transferred from South Carolina, and so he couldn't play baseball or football his first year. He got to play football in the fall. And, you know, everyone was excited for him to step in and have a full season on the baseball diamond this year. That, unfortunately, it's gotten cut short. He broke his foot, and he's going to undergo surgery on that. But, I mean, he'll be ready to go for football season, and hopefully, you know, we'll, I mean, not hopefully, we will have him back on the diamond at the start of next spring. So, you know, that's that's what there is to say about that. And he did have some encouraging signs early in the season. I believe at one point he was sorting batting 300, but, mm -hmm. you know, he brings a little bit of a pop, some obviously speed, as we saw during, you know, football season. 
uh, I will. This sort of speaks a little bit to the camaraderie that we were talking about. You know, you still see him in the dugout, even though you know he's got the boot, he's got like the scooter mm-hmm. that he uses to help move around. But you know, when the game is over, he's like, he's you know digging into the ground trying to like be with his team as they celebrate on the field, even though it's like grass and you know grass is. And, you know, it's not easy to ride one of those big no. scooters, but he's there. He's very. He's still a very uh, visible presence in the clubhouse, and I think again that just speaks to the larger culture that this team has established and you know just as you know just as human beings you know we hope that he's able to make a recovery and Absolutely. you know being able and if not this season next year come back at full strength and you know just be able to fully showcase what he can do especially because you know he's a hell of a center fielder too mm-hmm. when well, you know when given the opportunity to do so yeah absolutely um you know we're all hoping he can make that speedy recovery and everything goes well with the surgery. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll have him for the start of football season and we'll, we're excited to see him out in center field starting next baseball season. We're well, already at the 45-minute mark. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd want to get onto before we get on out of here? I think my last thing I want to say is that I'm just excited to see how the team's going to carry this momentum moving forward. they got Arizona coming up, and then, you know, they're going to be in Pac-12 play for the most part for the rest of the season. Um, Consistency has been the big thing all year. You know, we all know that they've been shown flashes of brilliance at some points, and they've played really poorly at others. Um, but now they're riding a six-game win streak, despite their best player's slump. So he's going to step up, and hopefully, we can see them carry this momentum and really find their groove. Beautiful. <laughs> With that being said, episode number three, one golden moment podcast. Justin De Los Santos, Joey Patton, aka Joey Patron. Until next time, peace. We good.